Each year, Church of the Cross sets aside this particular Sunday as a time to hold space for lament. If you're visiting, welcome. (laughs) Baptisms were last week. This week is lament. Christ the King is next Sunday. (laughs) This is a time when we name the disconnect between what we see and know of the world around us and what we know is the good and right rule of God. We name the disconnect and we call on God to act. Limit may not be a practice with which we are familiar, much less comfortable. Isn't this a little too close to grumbling? Oh, it's close. (laughs) Aren't Sundays for celebrating the resurrection? Sure are. And yet we cannot overlook that there is an entire book called Lamentations in the Scriptures. And not only that, but the largest category of the Psalms, over a third of the Psalter, is made up of individual and communal laments. It's kind of staggering to think about, thinking about if every Sunday a third of our songs were lament. I think some of us who find ourselves lamenting more in this season might not mind. We might appreciate the company. Help, Lord, for no one is faithful anymore, the people sing in Psalm 12. You have made us a reproach to our neighbors, the scorn and derision of those around us. The people call out in Psalm 44. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Cried Jesus in the words of Psalm 22. The pattern of scripture, the pattern of Jesus, invites us to participate in lament. This morning, we'll consider our passage from Malachi alongside lament. We'll look at the reality of return from exile, and we'll look look also at what it looks like to inhabit that disparity, what you find there. First, the return from exile. Because of the Israelites' unfaithfulness to God, they were warned that they would be taken captive by other nations. This came to pass. During the Babylonian takeover, the people of Jerusalem were exiled, forcibly removed from the city, and its temple was demolished. For years that turned into decades, the Israelites lived far from their home, far from their center of worship. Prophets said they'd return someday, and return they did. Now, under Persian rule, they were allowed to return and rebuild. The physical exile from the land of promise was over. But that's not all the prophets said. Prophets also spoke about the Messiah, spoke of an era of justice and peace under God's rule. A time of abundance and security. No more fear of those foreign powers. No more poverty. No more having to worry if your daughters will catch the eye of a foreign soldier or if a battle will destroy your crops, your livelihood, and put your family in need. The covenant between God and the Israelites will be renewed, and it will be better than before because we've learned our lesson this time. The return from exile held a lot of hope, a lot of promise for the Israelites. A while back, uh, Febreze used to have these commercials 
where they would ask people to participate in a scent experiment. Blindfolded participants would be brought into rooms where Febreze had just been sprayed. And as they made themselves comfortable, they were asked to say what they smelled or where they thought they were. Something floral. Is that citrus? All the reviews, of course, were positive, at least the ones that made it to air. And they imagined being in airy spaces of beauty. But when they took the blindfold off, they realized they were in this derelict, grimy warehouse kind of space. They realized they were in filth and had just been rubbing dirty cushions and blankets against their faces to get a better sense of the smell. They were horrified. When the book of Malachi was written, the Israelites had been back in Jerusalem for a couple of generations. And while things smelled good, God's promise prevailed. They were in Jerusalem. They were rebuilding the temple. They were home. The truth was they looked around and saw filth. Injustice, poverty, idol worship. The long fizzling out of something that was so close to being a sure thing. In response, the Israelites say, certainly evildoers prosper. And even when they put God into the test, they get away with it. It's not hard to look around our lives and look around our world and say this. I told off that person in the parking lot and it felt really good. And there are no consequences. I got away with it. Deceitful politicians were elected or re-elected this past week. Certainly evildoers prosper. In these 2,000 years in the life of the church, there has been a lot of deeply good, spirit-empowered, kingdom-minded work that has shaped us for the better. And there has been a lot of shameful, dark injustice and sin that has not only happened under the church's watch, but was protected from the light, protected from justice. And though we live in a different era of humanity, we experience alongside the Israelites this profound disappointment, pain, anger, confusion, at the incongruity between what we know of God, his power, his promises, and what we see in front of us or inside of us. So we move to consider how do we inhabit how do we live in the midst of this disparity? Our passage today offers, in many ways, a what not to do. The Lord declares the disposition of the Israelites as arrogant and then reflects the attitude of the Israelites like this. Their attitude says, it is futile to serve God. What do we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners? before the Lord Almighty. There's a lot here and a lot more going on in the book of Malachi than we're able to cover, but I want us to look at one particular piece today. Note that he isn't just saying that they have given up obedience, so that is certainly a big part of this book. They are also asking, what do we gain going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? They are called out by God for giving up on lament. A critical part of inhabiting this disparity is faithfulness 
alongside lament. In lament, we name the wrong. We name the pain and the disconnect. And we name it with gusto. The Psalms are not dispassionate accounts of disparity. They are angry. They are anguished. And this is acceptable, encouraged worship of our God. I think we are often uncomfortable. Sometimes I'll say, I am uncomfortable. (laughs) Not only with my own negative emotions, but also have a little bit of fear of expressing them inappropriately to God. We don't want to be, in the language of Malachi, arrogant. I don't want to be arrogant. But it is helpful to know this. If you are arrogant, if I am arrogant, editing our laments isn't going to make it any less so. You only deprive yourself of an honest place from which to meet with the God who heals arrogance. You deprive yourself of an opportunity to be corrected, to repent, to be forgiven, to move forward in fresh humility and intimacy with God. I think it's also telling that the Lord mentions the relationship between father and son in this passage. Because if anyone, if there is anyone in the world who truly, fundamentally understands lament, it's children. If there is something unjust, or when reality doesn't match with what was promised, you better believe that the children are going to name it. And the children of God are encouraged to be just that, children, to name these places where the promises of God do not seem to meet up with our experience, to trust that God cares. What do we gain in lament? We gain honest, intimate connection to God our Father. But in lament, we don't just name it. We don't just offer our sincere complaint at the disparity, the injustice, the brokenness of sin. In lament, we ask, we call upon God to move. Part of the heartbreak of the Israelite perspective here is that it sees lament along with obedience as futile. What do we gain? Yes, we may gain God as father, but does this father ever do anything? Thankfully, the answer is yes. The witness of the scriptures is that God does indeed move. He brought the Israelites out of slavery from Egypt. He brought them back to Jerusalem from the Babylonian exile. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God moves in ways that thwart the odds. There's a reason that even in the broader culture, we name stories as David and Goliath. As we love to quote from the message translation, that in Jesus, God moved, right? The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We have seen the Spirit bring healing, bring rescue, bring reconciliation in this very room. The kingdom of God is at hand. In some ways, this makes the pain of the complaint more sharp. God moves, but seems to have chosen not to in this case. Racism is alive and well. A chronic mental or physical illness, a chronic loneliness, 
a chronic sin that goes unhealed. Someone towards whom we persist in love continues to treat us with contempt. The faithfulness of God at times sharpens our pain. And at the same time that our pain is sharp, his faithfulness also gives us the power to petition him. It gives us the courage and endurance we need to continue in lament. Many voices cried out to God for the end of chattel slavery, and it was abolished. Surely some mother or father has lost their child to smallpox and cried out to God that other parents and children might be spared this grief. And now they are. See what they gained. They participated in those victories, whether or not they lived to see them. Our laments participate in the victories still to come, and they participate in that great victory that will one day be when Jesus returns and his reign is made manifest in full. We lament because God acts, and we hold him to his promise that he will act. I love in our passage that it says, on the day that I act. Lament is an act of faith in the power and goodness of God. Your kingdom come, bring these things into alignment, Lord Almighty. In our life together, let us live faithfully both in our obedience and in our honest offerings of lament for these places of disparity. In a minute, we'll be holding a brief space for lament, to name the incongruities, these places where we are calling God to move and to act. I'll give more instruction on that in a bit. Sometimes it's difficult to lament in a moment like this because you're just not in the mood. (laughs) You just received a piece of good news. You're excited to be gathered with people you care about and enjoy. What's not to love? Truly, the joyful among us are a gift. For some of us, lament is hard for other reasons. We work really hard to keep at bay our anger, our sadness. We feel painfully helpless when we look too long at the way the world functions, the way the people around us or the way our own lives have not come into alignment with the goodness of God. In either case, lament may be a discipline that you inhabit this morning. Just as most of us did not pick the songs for this week, I know I didn't, yet we sing them anyway. As a people formed together in worship, we enter into lament today communally to be formed in worship. Remember what is to be gained. In other seasons, the prospect of setting aside time to lament is incredibly freeing. It gives dignity, honor, and space to our pain. Maybe for those of us who live in lament right now, it gives us to our right and to our left companions. One person suggested that today when we have our time of offering our laments, we'll be writing them down, that maybe there could also be an invitation for some who just want to collectively go outside and scream. I love that. (laughs) It's good to give voice to the injustice and pain of life this side of eternity. 
John Golden Gay, an Old Testament scholar and fuller professor, recounted that as a young priest, he was excited to use a particular new liturgy because they wouldn't be sending so much time, in his words, using the stupid psalms because they were so meaningless. <laughs> he was particularly keyed in on the idea of lament in the psalms. He said after he said that, an older priest withered him across the room and later said, my boy, one day you will need the Psalms. Dr. Golden Gay now in his later years said, he was absolutely right. Church of the Cross, whether you are looking forward to space for lament or you participate in it to be disciplined, to be trained in the way of Jesus, I invite you to practice lament today. You'll need it. In your bulletin, you have an index card. After I pray for us, behind me on the screen will be a series of images that may reflect our laments or help us articulate our sorrow at the incongruity of this in-between time. We're going to invite you to reflect and offer laments in consideration of three spheres. First is the personal. What places do I experience this disparity in my heart? my character, and my body? What personal laments are you carrying? Second would be relational. Where am I lamenting broken relationships? Relational brokenness. What relationships or patterns of life together bear the mark of a world not fully healed? Third, there's going to be global. Where is there disparity in the world at large? This doesn't have to be far away. This global makes you sometimes think of someplace far, but this could be our unhoused neighbors that are down the street. Rather than list making, I invite you to consider what is one area in that category which you want to bring to God and lament. But there's also a fourth thing, a fourth prompt I want to invite us to. I want to invite you to name a longing. This is a chance to take one of those other spheres and write out a call for God to move. Consider now, even now, writing those words on those spaces on the index cards. You don't want to be fumbling for that later. <laughs> you don't. But personal, relational, global. And then a longing. How might you articulate what you are longing for God to do? You don't have to fill in all of these categories. Maybe there's one that the Spirit moves you towards that's particularly weighty for you at this moment. Offer that. When we move toward communion, we will invite you to place your card in a basket that will be on the altar. I love this practice of, of placing something on the altar. There, it's this embodiment we get to embody our offering and placing it in the basket. But also, too, part of lament, even in our passage, but also in the Psalms of lament, often there is this resolve that's there. Our passage has kind of this faithful remnant, this resolve, these people who were resolved to stick with Yahweh in the midst of the disparity. We want to stick with the crucified Messiah, the Jesus who wept over Jerusalem and Lazarus, who turned over tables in the temple, and who rose from the dead. On this day, between the resurrection and that final day of the Lord, we resolve 
to be his people. Last week, we put in our financial commitment cards, and this week, we take up an offering of lament. Lament is no less valuable in the sight of our Lord. Both are profound acts of faith and trust in the character and provision of our Heavenly Father. May the God who declares he will act hear your lament, hear mine. And may we together see the justice and healing of our God. Let us pray. Lord, even now, would your Holy Spirit draw us into lament? Lord, would you soften the places of our heart that we have long guarded? Um, that we might meet you in honesty and that we might call Call upon you, Lord, to move. We are well aware of these spaces that we have no power to move. Or what power we have seems almost silly. God, we want to participate in the things that you're bringing about, the goodness and justice, your right rule to come. Would you stir our hearts and minds? Would you give us the courage to lament, not as those who do not have a hope, that don't know the character of God, Um, But would we lament as those who do know your character and your power? We ask these things in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.